0: this episode of talking smith about film is brought to you by 29.6 degree heat it is ridiculously warm at smith hq today so it's just a case of get the reviews done get this podcast over let's go for it shall we it's seven o'clock it's friday night it's talking smith about film That intro's a little out of date, isn't it? Look at me with a fancy mic on. Hello and welcome to Talking Smith About Film, the flagship podcast from Lee Jack Smith Ventures. I'm Jack Smith. It's an honour and a privilege to be back live. All of the reviews are live this evening, which is going to be pretty fun. Especially in this heat, it is just gone seven o'clock on this Friday, the 29th of May. It is a busy week of Lee Jack Smith Podcast. Not only do we have Talking Smith tonight... But we also have Rip Ticket on Sunday. And it's going to be a one this week. I can just feel it. You know the drill by now. We have two films to review this evening. And the film news rundown. So it's going to be a little bit shorter than usual. No big discussion this week. But we do have plenty of ways for you to get involved with this little live show and of course a big welcome to all of our live viewers watching on youtube as this is recorded it's become a tradition now we've got a big plan in place for next week because it's you know the whole year anniversary of the podcast here are all the ways you can get you can get involved (laughs) So, you can use the hashtag TalkingSmith on Twitter, where you can tweet your questions, your correspondence, reactions to the films, all of that sort of thing. You can do the same on Facebook as well. That is Facebook.com forward slash Smith on film, where we stream Rip Ticket every Sunday, if that's any consolation. We also have Instagram now at Smith on film, where we will post images, behind the scenes, all that sort of thing. Uh, and of course, YouTube live chat and podcast at thejacksmith.com. We've got plenty of ways for you to get involved with this humble little podcast that's been going for a whole year as of next week. How did that happen? So, I have forgotten the running order for this week because it's been quite a last-minute scramble to um, actually get this podcast. Right, I know what our first review is now, and it's a review that our exec- one of our executive producers has been calling on me to do For a very, very long time, and you are actually getting this before it goes out on ejacksmith.com. I've not actually done the write up for it yet. In 1992, it was a year after View Preston opened, uh, a film came out that shocked the world because of reasons, but also because of Sharon Stone. And, well, I, I don't. Do I really need to introduce it much? On the insistence of my very good friend Mr. Ed Greenberg, and I will not be surprised if he's watching this because I told him I was reviewing it yesterday. Good lord, this is so not safe for work. This is the trailer for Basic Instinct.
1: stab
2: wounds what was it ice pick i'd like to speak to him to miss Catherine Trimmel, please is she a suspect she's a suspect
1: i wanted to write a book about the murder of a retired rock and roll star you know how she
2: does the boyfriend with an ice pick
1: she intended the book to be her alibi i picked him up and i had sex with him
2: you didn't feel anything for him you just had sex with him for your book
1: in the beginning then i got to like what he did for me
2: you like playing games don't you it's nice you've got no physical evidence she's lying What's your new book about?
1: A detective who falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. Stay away from her.
2: You are out of control, Kurt.
1: You won't learn anything I don't want you to know. She knew I'd say she did it, and she knew that nobody would buy it. She is screwing with your head, Nick.
2: She knows things about me that I only told you.
1: How does it feel to kill someone?
2: You tell me. I think you got too close to the flame. I think you liked it. You're in right over
1: your head. She seduces
2: people. It was internal affairs, wasn't it? She manipulates people.
0: trailer had 1990s written all over it, didn't it? Uh, basic flavour of the film, although let's be real, you all know uh, the plot of this film incredibly well. A violent police detective investigates a brutal murder that might involve a manipulative and seductive novelist. Mm. This is a very graphic film. It's an 18 for very good reason. The BBFC have kind of insisted that it remains an 18. And we all know this film, thanks to one certain scene. And it'd be wrong for us here at Talking Smith About Film not to use that clip as the actual crux for our review here. This is a Paul Verhoeven film, a very sexually charged film, and here... Is a clip.
1: Would you tell us the nature of your relationship with Mr. Boz? I had sex with him for about a year and a half. I liked having sex with him. He wasn't afraid of experimenting. I like men like that. Men who give me pleasure. He gave me a lot of pleasure. You ever, uh... Engage in any sadomasochistic activity? Exactly. What did you have in mind, Mr. Carelli?
2: You ever tie him up? No. You never tied him up.
1: No. Johnny liked to use his hands too much. I like hands and fingers.
2: You describe a uh, white silk scarf in your book.
1: I've always had a fondness for white silk scarves. They're good for all occasions.
2: But you said you like men to use their hands, didn't you?
1: No, I said I like Johnny to use his hands. I don't make any rules, Nick. I go with the flow. Did you kill Mr. Boz, Mr Trammell? I'd have to be pretty stupid to write a book about killing and then kill somebody the way I described it in my book. I'd be announcing myself as the killer. I'm not stupid.
2: We know you're not stupid, Mr. Mel. Maybe that's what you're counting on to get you off the hook. Writing the book gives you an alibi.
1: Yes, it does, doesn't it? But the answer is no. I didn't kill him.
2: Do you use drugs,
1: Mr. Mel? Sometimes. You ever use drugs with Mr. Boss? Sure.
2: What kind of drugs?
1: Cocaine. Have you ever fucked on cocaine, Nick?
0: Nice. Jesus Christ, that Cummings fellow gets everywhere, doesn't he? 260 miles to Durham now in between Sharon Stone's legs? Live live podcast listeners (laughs) you will have no idea how long that took to censor the uh, the scene unfortunately we had to because some stupid YouTube guidelines (laughs) Oh my god, that tickled us with my HQ. Uh, This is a a very unique film a lot of people ripped into it when the film came out in 1992 and I can understand where they came from it's a not the greatest film in the world but it does get a lot of things right in in a way Verhoeven's direction it is a it's a relatively okay paced two hour eight minute film could have done with a few minutes chopping here and there um uh, but it is it's very well directed there are a lot of conventions of the whole erotic thriller genre there's a lot of the uh it, it's it's a hard film to describe when you've not actually written the review for it yet, but it's a neon noir erotic thriller. Paul Verhoeven uh, directing it, and he's made some pretty middling of the, of middle of the ground films over here. He so works to a script from Jaius to Hearst, and the script is it, really well written for for a 1992 film. It, it's still the script really does still hold up, and I, I went into this last night not knowing not knowing. The full details of this film, like I mentioned at the top of this review, it was Ed Greenberg who recommended this film to me, and somewhere right now he is gri- He's got a smug grin on my f- his face, thinking, "Yes, I made, I subjected Jack to that." Uh, but it's a, it's an okay two-hour, eight-minute film. Uh, the script, it's it's good. Direction. It's okay. Nothing special from a technical front, but when you add some of the other ingredients to this mix, when you add that iconic Jerry Goldsmith score, when you add that Jerry Goldsmith score, which you, again you heard in the clip, pioneer is all you need to say. Absolute pioneer of blending orchestral and other sort of different types of music together to create something. Unique for cinema goers at the time. This is around the time when big bands were like still the big thing and they wanted that crossover. It would be another 10 years before Hans Zimmer was uh, on the scene mixing synths and uh, all of these conventions that we kind of know now. And on top of that, you have Jan de Bon on Cinematography Juicies. And Jan, for myself and Ed Greenberg, holds a particular place in our collective discussion because i'm just triple checking it to verify this now this guy was the director of the 1999 version of the haunting the dop of basic instinct made a version of the haunting that was bettered by a group of UCLAN students last year. Hello to the feature team from 2019, 2018 2019. But this, from a technical standpoint, there are a lot of elements that can get this film right. Everyone thinks, oh, you only, you only watch this film because of sex. There is more to this film than just that. And where this film really does come alive are in the performances. You've got Michael Douglas, you've got Sharon Stone, you've got uh, Gene Triplehorn. You've got some really good performances, and in the case of Douglas and Stone, they make these characters feel really believable, really fleshed out. Yes, it does get a little bit far-fetched towards the end when things go down, and I don't want to spoil it too much for anyone who hasn't watched the film. When things go down and you realise, oh God, she may not be the person that we've seen at the start of the film you realise that this could be like the ultimate deception and I, I I know they made a sequel to this movie in 2006 it was horrific from what I've read so you won't be seeing me review that on this podcast anytime soon but Basic Instinct was a film that a film that tanks of 50 shades could fly because let's let's think about this critically for a minute Basic Instinct got away with a lot for an 18 certificate back in 1992 without that film rewriting what it was to be an R-rated film an 18 here in the UK we wouldn't have that big insurgence of people thinking yeah what well, what can we get away with at 18 what can we do what can it effectively this film if it had failed we wouldn't have had something like Gone Girl hit cinemas that's, a, that's an interesting thought for me. Because this film, not, it, like I say, it's not, not the greatest of films. It's going to get a three-and-a-half-star review on the blog uh, when it goes out at some point this weekend between uh, this podcast going out and ticket airing on Sunday. But this film... Controversial, it might be. It still holds itself up pretty well. And I was discussing this with Ed last night on... One of our infamous sessions of the video game Borderlands, because we live a rock and roll lifestyle, I do that kind of thing. But Basic Instinct is a film that just gets it incredibly right on on so many levels, but at the same time it's still ridiculously cheesy. I can only give this film really a should-be-watched. Oh, Ideas it coming coming through Ah, uh, as you can tell it's been um quite the hectic day here at smith HQ, but it's a should be watch kind of film uh if you are in that kind of thing so uh in a minute uh for you guys watching on the podcast channel we're gonna go back live uh because we're gonna restart the stream on my end and we will return with more talking smith about film shortly stay tuned everyone well that happened that actually happened uh sorry about that live viewers um obviously studio canal don't want us to review any of their films on a live broadcast so uh they got their way uh, and you'll be able to hear the full basic instinct review on the podcast channel Later this evening and on the actual audio version of this podcast over the weekend. So sorry about that. Technical issues and YouTube getting in the way. And we censored that clip and everything. Right. Yeah, Basic Instinct is a should be watched kind of film. Now I really do want to get this podcast over and done with just for my sanity. It is that now it is now that time of show where we look at look at what's broken in the last seven days and a little thing that we call the film news rundown. What's broken, you ask? Well, we got the news that Sonic 2 is in development with Paramount. It's a film that was unexpected in terms of its box office success when it came out in February. Obviously, it got out just in time before COVID uh, screwed everyone over, which is very good. And again, I've not had a chance to watch it yet. We We might have a review for it soon, though. Hint, hint. Speaking of... Things screwed over by COVID. Cine World have announced that they plan to reopen all of their cinemas in July, come what may. That includes the Regal circuit over in America. Bold, risky move, but apparently they're following the science. So again, unsure as to what's happening there. Production news. There's a lot this week. Uh, Multisacore SkyZ's new film has been picked up by Apple. It's a massive film to finance. Why am I not surprised that Apple have put money into this thing? It's a film that has uh, really gone above and beyond in terms of budget and after Irishman tanked? Yeah, I could understand why. Uh, Tom Cruise will reunite with Doug Mann in a couple of years' time to make a film in actual outer space. NASA gave it the approval last week, and It's the most Tom Cruise film imaginable. Come on, let's not argue about that, really. Uh, Other news, David Ayer has called for his cut of Suicide Squad to be released, obviously following the footsteps of his colleague Mr Zack Snyder. Because of course last week we got the news that the Snyder Cut is real. I re-watched Justice League for the first time since cinemas uh, on Wednesday morning. And it was a real interesting ride to watch it again, knowing what's happened. Uh, Other news as well, Venice Film Festival is scheduled to go on as planned in the middle of September. It's the first concrete confirmation from any festival as to what the plan is for getting them all back on the road. And one last thing that's going to be getting back on the road, we actually have news of movies returning to production. Fox have announced that James Cameron's Avatar 2 will resume production on Monday. This is a big deal. This is one of Disney Fox's biggest propositions for the next couple of years. This could sway 3D back. This could this could be the killer film because cinemas will be back open by then. This could be the film that really does get people back in cinemas. And that is your Film News Rundown i'll tell you something guys this has been the podcast from hell it is now it's coming up on nearly 30 degrees in here at the minute so i'm not gonna bother um risking having to restart the stream so if the stream goes down a second time We will just continue recording this podcast and we'll stick it out on the secondary channel at a later point. Our second review this week is one that I actually have done a write-up for. A couple of years back, Odeon had a strand called Screen Unseen. They still do it, but not so much now that they're closed. And one of the things that Screen Unseen does incredibly well is introduce you to films that... uh, might not have uh, got your attention first time around and what I what I love about screen unseen is these films are always super unique super bold and something that is well uh, arguably about loving movies too much it's a film got underlooked. it's a film that not many of you have heard of But it's on Amazon Prime, and I want to review it. This is the trailer for Bart Layton's American Animals. Have a look at this.
2: Do you ever feel like you're waiting for something to happen? That thing that could make your life special? Yeah. Like what? Exactly. Through these doors, John James Audubon. This book is the most valuable in existence. Twelve million dollars in rare books and only one old lady guarding it. What? I think you know what. My heart beats in patterns through the broken side. This is your red pill or blue pill moment, my friend. You're either in or you're out. How can I tell you if I'm in or I'm out without you telling me the first thing about what I might be in or out of? Aren't you even curious? Well, yeah, a prison would be a nice change of scenery. The librarian is the single biggest risk to this entire operation. Can you please not touch check model? Thanks. I want you waking up ten years from now wondering what could have happened. Let's go. Come on! You guys are sending us to jail, you idiots! You're the only one that can calm me down. Can you stop? No, I'm not stopping until it's burned. It's evidence.
0: Thank you. The year is 2004, and this is a film that is based on real events. Four young men mistake their lives for a movie and attempt one of the most audacious heists in American history. Film four put money into this movie, and when film four get involved with a movie, you know that there is a certain hallmark of quality attached to it. It's a very unique kind of film directed by a man who until that point had made documentaries. And these four guys, these four university students, college if you're American, these four students, they really get into their movies. Aguilas film blends real life and filmed entertainment is quite unlike any film i've seen here's a clip of the lads meeting each other for the first time
2: names first eric mr black spencer mr green mr yellow is me chez mr pink (laughs) (laughs) fucking really dude
1: what you're making me mr pink what (laughs) <laughs> what's wrong, Mr. Pink? You know exactly what's wrong with Mr. Pink, okay?
2: I'm sorry, can I just say how dumb this entire thing is, okay? Because in the motion picture, the whole point of the names was so that nobody knew what the others were called, so they couldn't give each other up. Relax, okay? It's just protocol so we don't address each other by our names during the robbery, okay? Mm-hmm. No names, Mr. Pink. It's fucking ridiculous, man. And they all die in the end of that movie. Spencer was Mr. Green because he smoked lots of green. Eric was Mr. Black because he said his soul was black. I was Mr. Yellow because I was I was my mom's sunshine. And I named Chaz Mr. Pink just to fuck with him. I'm not gonna be Mr. Pink and be any color but pink. <laughs> it's probably my least favorite Tarantino film. Okay. Housekeeping first. Mr. Green, you will see to the disguises: makeup, prosthetics, outfits, wigs, etc. Costume party? Making a movie. Mr. Black, your first task is to find a reliable getaway vehicle, a Ford or similar, nothing flashy, which you will purchase using cash and a fake ID. Yeah, thank you. Mr. Pink, your first job is to identify the quickest route from the library to the drop-off point here. And then practice it over and over again until it becomes second nature. 14 minutes, 18 seconds, mostly green lights. Mr. Yellow, that's me of course. I will make the authentication appointment in New York for the weekend immediately following the robbery. Meaning that even if the books are reported missing, they won't yet show up on the National Index of Stolen Art. Once we have the authentication, we will arrange a rendezvous with the buyers in the Netherlands. Dear sir, my name is Walter Beckman. I am a collector of rare manuscripts based in Texas. I would like to arrange an appraisal of some of the items in my collection. Now, I have emailed the library to make an appointment to view the books on the penultimate day of term. That's eight days from now.
0: And that is basically the plan for this heist. The almighty screen Scene return with a bang on the day I sing this film and myself and a big chunk of the great men and women who make up the internal production team of the journal. Packed out. It was a different screen at Odeon. Packed out screen one. It was a little bit smaller. It was a very unique heist film and it was worthy of that screen unseen label. It was so damn good. Now, Bart Layton, as we mentioned, has been behind a few documentaries before he made this film. It's, and what his direction is very daring for a movie like this clocking in at a tight 1 hour 56 minutes this film wastes no time in introducing us to the characters as well as the real people as you can tell from that clip intercut your four actors with the four people who actually did this heist it, it doesn't mince any detail at all is it's quite a divisive move and it's a move which ultimately paid off as Leighton's own script was able to keep that tension running throughout the whole thing. It was such a well-crafted film in terms of the direction and script combination. You do not get those movies kind of often. Mainstream audiences will have issue with the way this film is stylised because there's so many movie references here and there. There There was a moment quite about, well I'd say about 40 minutes in where a a cover for the uh, the film Rafiki, a VHS tape uh, of Rafiki is in shot and Around the time I watched this film, Mark Kermode had just done his first series of Secrets of Cinema, and he mentioned Rafiki, and I watched him, and I was thinking, oh my god, Kermode, men- Kermode mentioned that as one of the, uh, the heist films that set the conventions of the genre. So I can understand why those lads would have uh, watched that film intently, and obviously, there's a, there's a Reservoir Dogs reference. You, you sit in the clip. It's, it's obvious to see where they got the ideas for this heist from, and... Dare I say, dressing up as four old men. What an idea. Uh, but this film is a breath of fresh air. You've got cinematography handled really nicely by Ole Brat Berkeland. The score from Andikisin is really good. And the soundtrack, oh my god. There were moments where I was like, how have they got the licenses for some of these songs? Although, one one nitpick I have to mention, one nitpick I have to mention is they credited there is a sequence which i, I would have used uh for the clip There is a sequence where elvis's a little less conversation is used um during the film as they rehearse the heist and they credited the wrong version they accidentally credited it to the Junkie XL remix. And I know these things because if I was presenting a radio show nowadays, I would have played the Junkie XL remix of A Little less Conversation as a show open because it's such a tune. And Junkie XL, by the way, it's Tom Holkenborg, you know, the guy who did the music for Mad Max, hot and fresh science fact. Um, but this is a really strong technical film. And this is where you bring in the cast. Evan Peters of American Horror Story and X-Men fame leads this cast with ease And supporting him is Barry Keoghan Who audiences seen for the first time in Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk He's a talent who's gone on to do some great things After working with the self-professed god of this industry In Nolan We Trust um, But you've also got Blake Jenner Jared Abrahamson these four men are the real the sole reason this film works on so many levels it is those those four performances Again, you've seen it from the clip they, it's so honed so refined and get able to get even the small details of the characters that they are playing down to a point where it feels like you are watching this unfold it's not quite the happy ending that we because like, obviously true story they go to prison but what this film does what this film does so well is open up the possibility that these guys haven't really told the true version of the story because they deliberately in this film leave some details to be a bit ambiguous and it, they literally use this as ammunition towards the ending of the film because they mentioned the whole verification meeting in New York it's revealed that that might not have actually happened this is a film that may have flaws this is a film that may not have a cast that you can recognise straight away but it is a solid piece of work And I repeat, a solid piece of work that was worthy of the Screen Unseen label, which is one thing and one thing only. We're going to show you a damn good film that will get you talking. And that is something that Screen Unseen with odion they've done that time and time and time again. All less said about the fact they played "Strangers uh, Pray at- Strangers Strangers Pray at Night" were live, pal. Um, the fact that they played "Strangers Pray at Night" um, on the horror version "Scream and Scene" gives you an idea as to sort of agreements that they have with the distributors. It's about what about testing out films that they know won't won't play well nationally, and it's a shame that this. American Animals, didn't get a saturation release because it deserved to be seen when it came out. When it came out, the nearest cinema to me playing it was Liverpool 1. Vue didn't get it. Odeon Preston didn't get it. Home in Manchester got it, and Home are a cracking cinema. Do not get me wrong. But I would have liked to have seen more of the conventional multiplexes get this film. A remarkable film at like that. And it's not just due to the absolutely insane nature of this story this is a rare heist film that breaks with conventions to create something that is genuinely unique breaks new ground for the genre and not only that gets the whole character motivation premise right i loved this film and it is a shame that not many people love this film as much as me this is a definitive go out and see it now kind of film because there isn't much you can really say about a movie like this see it see it see it see it see it so that's both of our reviews done in the space of 35 minutes. It's been an interesting stream tonight. Um, but we will edit it together and we will stick it this out on the podcast channel. Obviously without the basic in-sync in clips. Uh, but there is one little plug that we've got to do before I launch into this week's big discussion, because we are going to do big discussion, we're running, we're running really good on time tonight. Uh, as a lot of you will probably know, I do a second podcast with my very good friend, Dan Carver. And this week, oh, it's going to be good on Sunday. Uh, this week, Dan has given the reins over to me to research and prepare this week's writ. Ticket review topic, and I might as well reveal it right here on Talking Smith about film. I'm just loading in the thumbnail now because I've, as well as movies, I do watch a bit of TV as well. I mean, it'd be wrong for me not to. I do watch a bit of TV. I mean, I watched that uh, Brexit and Civil War out of spite on Wednesday. I wonder why. But this week's Rip Ticket Review is, um... Yeah, it's about this fellow. It's about Edgar Wright. It's about the TV series he made that directly resulted in the creation of Shaun of the Dead and the Cornetto Trilogy and Scott Pilgrim and Baby Driver. Oh, and I forgot to mention this in the film news rundown because it broke a little late to be considered. Uh, We now know when his next film will be out. out April next year, last night in Soho, he's making a horror movie. And I'd love to see where that opening sequence from episode 3 of Space, you know, the one where... uh, Simon Pegg's character plays Resi 2 and the zombies attack. Yeah, I'd love to see how he's worked something like that into a movie. But yeah, That's not in Soho coming out next year. Cannot wait. But we'll be talking about Edgar Wright on Sunday's podcast and you can watch that over on Facebook. Actually, I don't need to say that because we've got a trailer to do that for us. In a world where film podcasts solely focus on multiple films and multiple stories... What else did he and two blokes who used to present a radio show talking nonsense about film? The Rip Ticket Review is going to be a podcast from myself, Jack Smith, and my very good friend, Dan Carver, former presenters of Pulse Radio's Rip Ticket Show. And every Sunday, we get together online and talk nonsense about the infamous films, the infamous directors, and the tales that make these things interesting. We've looked at things like the I got the results of the test back. I definitely have breast cancer. <laughs> This is about as bad as the uh, the scene that in the film. How is she (laughs) sexy? We've looked at things like Uwe Bowles. Inability to make a good video game movie. Uwe Boll, a German director who didn't understand computer game movies. One might argue that um, he is kind of like Tommy Wiseau in that he did his own thing, Um, but yeah. (laughs) there's, there's, There's a minefield here that we can really go down with Uwe Boll. We've looked in depth at the whole coronavirus effect on the film industry. And we're only just getting started. You can watch the podcast being recorded live every week at facebook.com forward slash the Show. You can follow us on Twitter at ripped underscore ticket. You can email us using RIPticket Show at gmail.com and you can find the audio on all good podcast providers, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and basically all your favourite podcast merchants, really. The Rip Ticket Review. We talk about movies in an attempt to make you sound more knowledgeable at the pub. When they eventually reopen, that is. Had to fade it down uh, because we know the pubs aren't going to be open for a little while yet. Although we are going to be allowed to have six people in our gardens from Monday. That's going to be good. Right, big discussion. And I'm going to be talking about this topic with a very good friend of mine and... Well, Journal co-producer Gemma Nettle tomorrow, because I'm going to be on a Zoom call with her. Can cinema survive Covid? That is now the big question. All of the chains are now starting to announce their plans for the reopen. Odeon have been quite coy in their strategy yet. Cineworld literally out of nowhere announced on Wednesday because they will reopen all of their cinemas globally. We mentioned it in the Film News rundown, but this includes America, Israel, the UK and Ireland. Every cinema they own is going to open in July, regardless of what everyone in government says. That is a bold move on World's part. I don't know if it's going to pay off, because they are a chain in big financial trouble as it stands. So are Odeon, actually. Odeon's owners had to take out $500 million in debt just to get through the crisis we also have well hidden we have hints and indications from view They aims to open july 4th in time for marathon which makes me happy because july 8th we've got plans for that we thought like we can next week bit of, a, bit of a scoop we're announcing a plan for the marathon next week it's gonna be very different this year believe me uh but view have announced that they will we're all getting ready to reopen. But it's gonna be a very different cinema experience to what we know. It's gonna be half capacity, compulsory masks and gloves for staff, Perspex screens at concessions, a lot more prominence for booking on the app, and extended opening hours but beginning later in the day, dying off late at night. I am literally bracing myself Harsh as it may sound, for a similar kind of quality service that I received at my local view to the one that we had during the refurbishment three years ago. Limited opening hours, limited amount of screens open, limited range of concessions, but without the element of it being a construction site. Instead there are more temperature checks and probing questions. But we have to ask a question. Is it too soon to be reopening cinemas? I know they want to get opening back in time for Tenet because it's a $200 million film. They've got to make some profit back somewhere. But there have been a lot of discussions both on Twitter, here at Smith HQ, out in wider society as well. Is July too early to reopen the cinemas? And most importantly, do do the exhibitors want to let Disney have the first film back? Because there is some unwritten tension in the air It's the reason why Warner haven't really confirmed what's happening with Tenet just yet. Because if they move Tenet, that means Mugan becomes the first film back, and then it follows Wonder Woman a week after. It is really all to play for in this environment. And with the rise of streaming services, obviously HBO Max launched in America on Wednesday. Literally being promoted during wrestling shows, I find. There pro- promos for it uh, during AW Dynamite, uh, I, I read on Twitter. But with the rise of HBO Max, with Peacock launching later of the year, with Netflix getting more traction, obviously Disney, Plus have literally rebuilding its content management system so they could g- give us episodes of The Simpsons in original aspect ratio. That's a true story. Anton Volkov's Swiss has been like a minefield this week for these kind of stories. It's been a really interesting ride for the cinema chains because they don't know how they're going to last and it's accelerated the rise of premium video on demand and day and day releases we will get back to a sort of normality where the big screen experience is king but right now public trust is the big thing if they can say that oh look this cinema is safe they'll go to it if there's good quality product coming in they'll go to it they won't watch the same films week in week out just because that's all they can get it's going to be an informed choice for the chains when the all clear is given and I don't know how this could play out the recliner sites will do well, the recliner sites should do well because they're they're literally being billed as premium out of home now but it's going to be the older multiplexes that I I don't imagine surviving obviously I have very close ties within view got certain connections within Odin I can't speak for Cineworld but I don't see any chain being running more running anywhere near 100 cinemas in six months from now some older sites are gonna have to go unless they've not unless they're not mid refurbishment that is because they um, Refurbishments are going to be the king. These refurbishments are going to be recliners, bars, hands, concession offers, which we're going to have to rethink all of that now, just to make sure it's all COVID secure. Lame guideline I know. But I really don't know if I'm going to feel comfortable going back into a cinema in July, which explains why we've planned the marathon the way we have. Shameless plug. But of course Showcase uh, are literally reopening and on top of that we got the news in from America, I think it was yesterday from America, the first IMAX showings have been undertaken since it all kicked off and that chainer insisted on the masks and those masks could hit concessions revenue considerably. We talked about it in last month's journal. Concessions are where cinemas make 80% of the profit. So they have to adapt concessions. They've already said that, look, we're going to serve concessions in pre-prepared containers. Pick and mix is basically done away with for the time being. And for the sites that have self-service, including my local, we're screwed. We really are screwed. It's going to be an interesting ride for the chains over the next couple of months as they adapt their operational practices and even writing a masters about this industry, which is going to kick off in October. I've insisted I saw it in October. Writing about this industry, as I have done for the last couple of years, it is the most challenging thing that the cinemas have ever faced in over a hundred years. And not on top of that, this is the first time that multiplex cinemas here in, cinemas at all here in the UK have been ordered to close since the second world war this is unprecedented territory and I don't want Netflix to have the upper hand it's all good having films day and date, but you don't physically own the films and they're built to be seen in surround sound on big screens with a nice cup of Earl Grey in your hand not there, but all sides. but like, you get the point. This could either hurt cinema in general or it could give us the reprieve that it needed. We just have to hope for the right film to get the industry back on track, and I am excited. To get back into view when that moment happens, as you can tell behind me, I spend a lot of time in there. But, as it currently stands, there's no way that uh, the majority of the general public will want to go back into a cinema. Hell, a lot of us are even scared to go outside right now, even with the ability to see six of our mates, as of Monday, uh, about to come in force. But... Right now, it is literally time to band together with a study that came out last week saying that independent cinemas may ha- may not make it past September. Now more than ever before, the slogan for the blog has never been more evident. Born Independent was, bought, was created last year to put the spotlight on cinemas that need it the most more than ever you watching at home watching on your phones need to support your local cinema because the time is now prepare yourselves not for a second wave but for a resurgence of the greatest art form in the world when it's safe to do so we will be back at the Preston and with a little over 10 minutes to go for our allotted slot, that is almost it for this week's Talking Smith Band film. Apologies for the brief technical issues during a, brief, uh, during a basic instinct review. YouTube shut us down, but we will have that review in full on the Lee Jack Smith podcast channel. For our live viewers, we will have the basic instinct review on the podcast channel in full later this evening. Do not worry. So, let's tell you about next week, shall we? Because next week is genuinely massive. Because it is the one-year anniversary of Talking Smith about film. It is a huge... Work. I mean, I know the anniversary, not until the 7th of June, but... Next week, we celebrate one year of doing this podcast... It started an accident and now we've been streaming live on YouTube every week and it might potentially be the last stream on YouTube for a while because of uh, what's happened tonight. We shall see. But we've got a few surprises in store for next week. We will be on at 7pm. And it will finish around now, 7.55pm, for very good reason. Because... I know a lot of you have been doing pub quizzes lately pub quizzes on Zoom Skype you've taken part in Jay's virtual pub quiz on a Thursday I've seen I've seen I've seen all that sort of thing even though we're on, on a, we're usually on on a Thursday night I've seen that sort of thing next week <laughs> and I can't believe this has to slipped by copyright so easily next week we've got our own version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire dropping <laughs> and it is it's not a conventional who wants to be a millionaire because it's about film and specifically it's about the block and some of the key moments that have happened over the seven years that I've run LeeJackSmith.com and it's 15 questions very interactive so at the end of each question you'll, present, you'll be presented with four answers they'll flash up on your screen like it does at the, at the end of a journal you'll have four options you can click tap on them I, I can tell you that um, sixty individual video files were rendered for this thing, sixty of them, and I had to match the wrong answers' duration with the right answers. It was, if you, <laughs> it was worse to make than doing a wipe. That tells you everything. It was worse to make than doing the 2019 wipe, and that is just genuinely insane to me but next week you'll have talking smith about film and the journal within two hours of each other and also next week if the trailer can get finished in time during talking smith about film next thursday night we're going to be announcing what's happening with the marathon this year because as i've mentioned as i've hinted it is going to be a very different birthday marathon this year Namely because, well, cinemas are still closed. But we're going to make it happen. In some way, shape or form. But anyway, I've rambled for too long now. My name's Jack Smith. That has been Talking Smith about film. And we rambled for a little bit too long now. Until next Thursday at 7pm, we will see you at the movies. Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you next Sunday. Oh, Sunday for Rip ticket. See you then, guys. <laughs>